We are a citizen organized, a citizen run, a citizen funded initiative. We don't have a single large donor. We're doing this all on our own, almost exclusively by volunteers. We want to start a national dialogue. COVID-19 pandemic has been a unprecedented event as far as Canada, the countries in the world are concerned. The fact that in Canada, people are still afraid. It has not been disclosed uh, to the general public the contents of the uh, material. So in that moment, she framed every unvaccinated person, including her guest on the show, as a danger to public safety. What's interesting also is that nobody can name a single real-world vaccine success story where COVID rates went down at a nursing home or a funeral home after the vax rollout. You're in a cancer clinic and you feel abused by everybody because they didn't want to know you. They wanted to know your mask. They wanted to make personal contact with your mask and that was the horror of it. How did we get to this point? A nation that is afraid to let its people judge the truth and falsehood in an open market is a nation that is afraid of its people. That's still where we are in this nation, Canada, because no government, no authority wants to inquire into its handling or mishandling of the last three years response to COVID-19. Paula Duaron. Do you affirm that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I do. Can you please state your full name, where you live, and your occupation? Paula Duano. I'm 48 years old. I'm from Moncton, New Brunswick, and I work in a nursing home. And what's your role in the nursing home? Uh, it was a cook, but I demoted my position to custodian when I got ill. Okay, so you were a cook and then became a custodian in the same the yes, same employment. the same business, yes. Right. And how long have you been working there? Seven years in all, one year with the new position. And are you currently going to work? Not presently, no, I'm on sick leave. And when did you go on sick leave? October of 2021. So you were there in 2020 and 2021 up to that point, sort of throughout the height of the pandemic? Yes, I was there during the beginning of the pandemic, yes. And can you describe what it was like to work there prior to the pandemic, um, like before early 2020? Yeah. Uh, I really love my job. Um, it's a good work environment, but we uh, were very short-staffed. So we had a lot of uh, complications before the pandemic with keeping staff. Uh, so this means that the residents don't always get the proper care and attention that they need or want. Um, before the pandemic, they, um, 
We have a pretty big facility. There's three different wings. Um, they have access to a great big common room that they could go have activities in. We have bingo nights. Uh, their families would come visit. And they were able to be everywhere in the nursing home. So there was a lot of social interaction among the residents? Yeah, there was. There's Once a week there would be entertainment that would come in, bands that would perform for them, and music. And, and in your role, did you interact much with the residents? I did, yes. So you observed their day-to-day, -day and, and how were the relationships among staff members and sort of the, the atmosphere? It was good. Um, a lot of people are tired because you're short-staffed. Mm -hmm. But we always, uh, we always kept, you know, busy and jovial. It was a good work environment. And can you talk about how things changed around 2020 when uh, the government started implementing COVID-19 measures, how that changed in the nursing home for staff, for residents, and sort of what specific measures you saw being implemented? In the beginning, uh, it was very chaotic and uh, disorganized. For a long time, we didn't have PPE. So we were very anxious, um, but everybody was healthy. We sanitized our hands, and um, after a while, they started introducing the, the vaccines. And I just want to take you back to even oh. before that. So, like, what sort of um, say March 2020 around that time? with nursing homes and being sort of one of the hardest hit, I believe around that time they had sort of locked down or pre prevented yes. um, visitors from entering. Yeah. Did you see sort of some of those type of impacts taking place early on? Right away we locked down. Families weren't allowed to visit anymore. Um, the residents all were set into their assigned wings, so they didn't have access to the big common rooms. The entertainment was done. Uh, so they got segregated more into their, uh, their specific wings. Uh, the families couldn't visit anymore. Families would come visit through the windows. That was sad. Did you see the impact on the residents of these measures? Yeah, yeah. It was hard for them because that's what they live for, to see their family and the activities. So, yeah. And so before, they would have had fairly active days or they'd be out and about. And yes. Were there always activities scheduled every day? And uh, yeah, yeah. In each wing, there's activities every day. But the common room was like the bingo night. And that was, bingo was their favorite activities. And where would they eat? Would they usually eat together? The uh, they ate they... in their wings. Every, in wings? every wing has a, an eating area for each wing. So that's like more like satellite common rooms. And during the lockdowns, how did that change? During the lockdowns, they could still. Um, but after the, the vaccines and stuff like that, uh, staff members were diagnosed with COVID. So they actually uh, put the residents into their tiny little rooms to, uh, so they wouldn't be contaminated or so if so they, the protocol was if somebody tested positive for covid there was yeah. kind of uh, yeah. further segregation yeah further segregation in their specific little rooms and were they permitted to leave their rooms no they were not 
they couldn't go in the dining rooms anymore in their assigned wings, or they couldn't visit each other anymore. They were in their little rooms. Did that affect sort of, were there roommate situations or? Uh, there is a couple of, most of, the, most of them have their own personal rooms, but there are a couple of residents that share rooms that oh. have two living areas in it. So they went to being in their rooms on their own Correct. with no visitors. For how long? For how many? The, for if it, someone tests positive, how long would that sort of lockdown last for? I believe the first one was for until public health said that it was okay to keep them out of their rooms. But at one point, they were put into their rooms for almost two months. So in 20, around January 2021, when they rolled out the vaccines, uh, elderly and people working in nursing homes were sort of first in line or close to first of line, correct? Yes, To we be eligible to, to take the vaccines. Did you notice sort of the introduction of the vaccine um, and discussion of the vaccine have further impact in the nursing home? Um, a lot of us were very happy that, they were, that we were first because we wanted to get back to normal. We wanted to get see the residents get normalcy again. So a lot of, most of us were, were very eager, mm -hmm. but not everybody. And were people, was everyone very eager to take the vaccine or were people outspoken about their choosing not to take it? And did that sort of have any impact on? No, they only became outspoken when it became mandated. And can you elaborate how, how did that change things? Uh, we lost some staff members. Um, they decided against the shots. We were already short staff. This means that we're shorter staffed. Less assistance for the residents. And were there any issues prior to the mandate of, of staff or residents being concerned about who was vaccinated, who was not vaccinated? Well, we, everybody kept their distance. Um, I remember one of our co-workers, she hadn't been vaccinated yet. It was starting to be mandated and she was sad. She was uh, on the fence on what to do. And just people kept their distance from her. And one day I, I just went up to her and I gave her a hug. And I said, I accept, I accept you for whatever you decide. But it was sad to watch them, you know, being outcasted. And how was morale at this time? How were people feeling? Anxieties. Anxieties, uh, always busy. Because when you're short staff, you're doing the job of more than one person. You're doing a two people job. So you don't really have time to, you're just kind of on autopilot. <laughs> and did you decide to take the COVID-19 vaccine? I did, yes. And you took another shot that year as well? or? Yes, yeah, I, uh, I took the flu shot 2020 before the rollouts of the COVID. Um, the I figured I was added that to protecting the residents. And then how many COVID-19 shots did you take? After the flu shot, I had three Moderna. Moderna, okay. And when did you take those? Uh, the Moderna were in 2021. So the first one was in January, the second one February, and then I had my booster in November. And where did you uh, take the COVID-19 vaccines? Uh, the COVID 
the three first shots that I received, including that flu shot, was at my place of work because we have nurses there. It's a hospital. So it was done there. And my booster was done at, uh, at a drugstore. And who administered the shots? Uh, nurses, where I work. And at the drugstore, it was an attendant. And did any of these uh, people speak to you about the potential risks of taking the flu shot or the vaccines? No, they did not. I had no idea that it was a gene therapy. I thought it was a vaccine. Um, also, um, I figured if I got sick, that I would get assistance, get medical help. And I had another thing, but I forget. <laughs> and why did you think I that? I had three yeah. points there. Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> why did you think that um, if anything went wrong, you would have support? It's common sense. If you harm somebody, you're going to help them. So with any of these vaccines, did you experience symptoms afterwards? I did, yes. I experienced with the flu shot 2020. Um, the night I, when I got home, I was fine. When I went to bed, my legs started pulsing. I fell asleep. When I woke up, I woke up with a horrible headache. My neck was so sore, I wasn't able to lay on it. And um, it felt like a flashing light had gone in my head. And I was also having issues breathing. And that was the evening that you took that the That was the evening of, yes, yeah. And did you speak to health? I fell asleep. Uh, the next day I felt a bit better. I didn't think, it took a couple of days. Uh, for three nights, my neck was really sore. I wasn't able to lay on it, but. And did you see anyone about those symptoms or get a diagnosis no, for anything? No, I didn't, I just. And had you experienced similar symptoms in the past? No, no, ma'am. And then with, you said, uh, did you mention a booster? You also experienced symptoms? Uh, the booster, I had a reaction with the booster as well. That one was worse. Um, when I had my booster, three weeks after, I had to go to the ER. Um, my head and my spine felt like it was on fire and I was having issues breathing. So 811 suggested I go. So your head, your, did you say head or neck, sorry? Pardon me? Your neck and your uh, spine? My, my neck, my head and my spine felt like it was on fire. My neck felt like it was melting. <laughs> and what happened at the emergency room? Uh, when I got to the emergency room, <clears throat> after the booster, it, it dawned on me that, because I'd been feeling ill for a while, and it dawned on me that this was possibly because of the vaccines that I'd been receiving. So at that point, I'm like, I'm gonna go to the ER and I'm gonna ask them if it's normal to have a headache and a sore neck at the same time. I, I looked it up and they say you'll have a sore arm and you could have a headache, but the sore neck and sore um, head were indications that it could have been Guillain-Barre syndrome, meningitis, Parsonage-Turner syndrome, Serva. So I did a bit of research before I went, and when I got there, the triage nurse, I asked her if it was normal to have the, head, the headache and the sore neck. And she didn't answer me, and she gave me a really dirty look. When I got with the ER doctor, 
um, I asked him, and he, uh, his words to me were, what do you have against vaccines? And then I told him, well, I've had four in the span of 14 months. I, I'm, there's something wrong with me. And I, and, but they wouldn't answer my questions. Uh, the next day, I figured I'm going to go ask the pharmacist. I was picking up my prescription. I, I thought maybe the doctor and the triage nurse were having a bad shift. <laughs> so I'm like, I'm going to go speak with the pharmacist. And when I asked the pharmacist, um, his words to me were, or I asked him, I said, is it normal to have the sore neck and the headache? Or the headache? And then he asked me what side I had received my injection, and I told him it was the different side of where I was hurting. And then his words to me were, I'm not buying it. Like I'm trying to like, sell him Tupperware or something. <laughs> and then I asked him about the 2020 flu shot recall because I had found information that this flu shot had had a recall. And he looked at me and he's like, I'm too busy. I'm, I'm not talking about this with you right now. And at the ER, did they run any tests? Pardon me? Did they run any tests at the ER? When I went to the ER, I had to beg for testing. Um, at that point, I'd already done a bit of research myself, and I was concerned. And I, I asked him if I could get an MRI, and he told me that I didn't need that. He did um, authorize an X-ray. So I received the X-ray that evening. And then after the x-ray from my results, he came and he told me that the MRI would be approved because I had, he had found some issues in my neck. Okay, and do you, you provided me with a copy of the MRI results? Yes. Okay, do you have that in front of you? Uh, sure yeah. do. So that is exhibit TR-0006B. And it reads the impression as moderately advanced C5-6 degenerative disc disease. There is severe disc slash Lushka joint osteophyte narrowing of the right C6 neural foramen. There is mild central canal narrowing at this level. Is that correct? That's correct. And the recommendation was surgery consultation, correct? Correct. And did you have a surgery consultation? I did speak with my family doctor after he received these results over the phone. And my family doctor told me that a surgery wouldn't be approved for me, that I wouldn't. Um, he says I, I can, I asked to be transferred or referred to a, neuro, a neurologist. He said that there's a big waiting list. It would be about three years. And I said, well, you, you can put me on the list. I could get worse by then. <laughs> and uh, he's like, yeah, I'll put you on the list, but they're not going to approve this type of surgery for you. And what was his suggestion? I would have to live with it. <clears throat> so in 2020, you took the flu shot, you experienced severe symptoms that persisted, and then you got your two Moderna vaccines. And then when you had your booster, you, you had more severe symptoms. Were they the exact, they were sort of different symptoms? Would you say they exacerbated the original or it was completely different? After the booster, it was different. Uh, that's when I started getting like um, body jolts, um, I started having menstrual issues. Um, I also had brain zaps, brain fog, fatigue. Um, I had to take three naps a day 
and nerve pain, a lot of nerve pain, and the sensation of my legs, the pulsing, has never gone away. And had you had any issues in the past or any pre-existing conditions that would explain any of those symptoms? No, the only issues I had in the past, I had asthma. Uh, I have a bladder condition called interstitial cystitis, and I was on antidepressants. And what made you think there could be a connection with the, the vaccines? Well, I'm having all these issues with my neck a year after, and when I received that flu shot and other shots, I was always having a sore neck. So I kind of put two and two together that... And how did you feel about the response you received from the various healthcare providers when you inquired about that connection? It's very frustrating. Um, I think I deserve to be treated better than that. I did my part. And, and I, I actually mentioned this to the ER doctor. I said, you know, I did this to protect others and residents, but now I'm injured and somebody needs to protect me. And you know, do you know if any of the healthcare professionals you spoke with filed an adverse event following immunization form? No, they did not. And Paul, you also had a, a gene analysis done, is that correct? Correct, yes. So that's exhibit TR0006A. And do you have that in front of you? I sure do. Can you explain? So who, who provided you with this gene analysis? This was done with a naturopathic doctor. And how do they do it? Uh, it's with your saliva okay. sample. So they're able to see your gene makeup. And I was explained that I have a mut mutation, a gene, that's actually uh, very sensitive when it comes to vaccines. And that's the MTHFR, is it? I have the worst one, she told me. <laughs> and so these notes, the handwritten notes on the results, the, is that your handwriting? The, the, that's my handwriting, yes. So, and when did you write that, as she was? Uh, as she was explaining to me. Okay. Because I need to take some vitamin B, I guess, to, so yeah, I just, dabbled. <laughs> so that supports that you might be at risk of having bad reactions to yes. you suggest the possibility. Yeah. And had you had any bad reactions with vaccines in the past? Well, I didn't think so. But now that I'm looking into uh, past experiences, I, um, I had received a vaccine as well in 2005. While I was pregnant, it was a DTAP. And not long after this DTAP, I had massive muscle and joint pain to the point that I was on the couch for a month. Um, I went to the hospital then, and the doctor at the time told me that it was from, I was pregnant, I was newly pregnant, and I was expanding, so I would get muscle sores and aches, but I was so sore that I was on the couch for about a month. And um, I think it was five months after, my water broke early, and my son was only alive for one day, Speaking with the doctors then, they said, we, we can't explain why these things happen. We don't know why. And now that I see these type of, uh, this type of documentation, it kind of makes you wonder if that's the case. So it was I'm not saying it is, but, but unfortunately, I can't go speak with a doctor and say, hey, is this what happened to my son? Because I don't think they would be honest with me. 
So in, in terms of the impacts that these symptoms have had on your life, um, you're currently on sick leave due to the symptom, these symptoms? I am, yes. And when did you go on sick leave in relation to the various uh, vaccines? It started October 2021. I tried to return to work a few times, but I was getting more sick. And was that before your booster? Uh, this was before the booster, yeah. I actually got my booster as I was on sick leave because I didn't know that I was having issues with the, the previous vaccines at that point. It only clicked in when I got my booster. And what has the financial impact been of being off on leave? Are you getting benefits or disability? Or uh, no, I am not. I'm, right now I'm kind of living on my, uh, my credit card. My brother is helping me as well. Um, I, I got help in the beginning, I think it was 15 weeks for EI for a sick leave, but once that ran out, I tried to go back to work and I couldn't, so I've just been footing the bill. So you tried to go back to work when your when I did, yes, ran out. yeah. And what happened? Um, I, couldn't, I couldn't move. For a long time, I just, for months, I was on the couch. I couldn't even walk. I would walk kind of hunched over. I'm just starting to be able to walk straight now after a couple of years. And how else have these symptoms and, these, and your diagnosis impacted your day-to-day -day life? I used to be very active. I used to be very happy and social. Um, I'm not so much anymore. I'm, I'm isolating more now. And why is that? I've lost connections with some of my family my friends, I've tried to reach out to explain to them what's been happening to me, and uh, they have blinders on. They don't want to speak to me about it. So they've kind of disconnected from me. And has this experience impacted your mental health at all? Yes, yeah, it has. It's made me very anxious. I mean, I'm doing research now, and I'm seeing these doctors come up with heart attacks, cancer, and I'm still trying to figure out what issues. I, I have some diagnosis, but I know there's still something wrong with me. I still actually, I'm gonna, in a couple of weeks from now, I have uh, someone that's gonna go through my blood work, and there's discrepancies in my blood work as we speak, and my urine sample. So yeah, it's, I'm anxious. I don't know what's wrong with me. And it's been two years of being sick, and I'm having to run around and Please, somebody help me. And how are your symptoms today? I'm still sore. I'm still sore. It's chronic. Has anything helped? Uh, when, I, when, I, when I was at my worst, I did do ivermectin. Um, it cleared my spine and my head uh, from burning within two days of using it. I've used it a bit more since, but it doesn't... I think it was a one-shot deal, but I've been on supplements, and DMG is one that's been a, a big game-changer for me. So I'm trying to go all natural, and it's, uh, I'm slowly healing. I'm not worse. <laughs> and do you have any idea if or when you might return to work? I'd like to return in May, but um, the last couple of days I've been in a flare-up, so we're going to see how that goes. What would you say has been the hardest aspect of this experience for you? Getting treatment, getting taken seriously. My relationship with my family members and friends. And um, I, I had to leave a three-year relationship because he didn't believe me 
that I was going through these issues and I started going public to warn others and his words to me were, I can't go out with a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> so I chose my health over the relationship and so yeah. so yeah, I've lost a lot, but I've gained a lot too. What do you mean by you've gained a lot? Pardon me? What, what do you mean by you've gained a lot? I've gained, I've gained a lot of knowledge. I've gained that I need to take my, in, my instincts, I need to follow those because in the beginning, I think I was on the right path, but I let people convince me to do something. Yeah. So follow my own instincts and just, I met a lot of great people too, and there's a lot of good people out there. And there's a lot of people like me that's injured as well. Uh, purple is kind of, a, if you see a Facebook like profile picture and there's purple in there, reach out to them because they're probably injured like me and we're all in the same boat. Thank you, Paula. I have no further questions. I'll just turn it over to the commission. Thank you. You did an excellent job of uh, describing for us, um, you know, what you've been through. And, but I want to go back just a little bit because there's some people that we really haven't talked about in this. You, you, you alluded to, and that was the, you, the, the patients, the people in the, uh, in the uh, elderly uh, uh, residents. And I don't know a lot about that. That's what my question is going to be. And you might not know some of these answers. Is, is that, is the residents highly regulated by the, by the government? How they take care of the residents and are there ratios of staff or? or where I work, yes. Mm -hmm. And it's supposed to be regulated, but we're, we can't keep staff. Nobody wants to work for very long. You're, you, I work there, and I'm one person, but I have to do like a two-person job because we're, there's not enough people that want to work, and and you're working with sick people too. Like they need, their needs need to be met, and then personally too, like they they deserve a bit of attention, and you can't even give them that attention of a conversation for two minutes because it's so busy that you kind of have to brush them off. Were there never uh, inspections of the facility to ensure that the, the residents were getting the care that they were supposed to be getting? I don't really notice any, ins yeah, no, we do get some inspections, but not about the care, no. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't remember any. When you were talking about the, uh, them going into lockdown, and I think you said that there was times when the residents were locked up for months at a time, I think there were several months at a time, it was, uh, a, it was over almost two months. Did, did the workload on the staff as a result of that go up or down? It was probably the same because for the nurses, they have to suit all up mm -hmm. with that gear. So it was more strenuous, actually. Okay. And for the nurses as well, like their food was being served in their rooms as well. I, I worked in the food department, so we make their trays and then... Like, usually they have a common room that they can go eat and where now it was like the nurses were having to go bring the food to them and not so much us. And so it, it probably caused more work. Mm. Well, we, you know, with, with people being locked up for a long period of time, especially elderly people, did you notice an effect on their mental health and yes. their happiness? Yes. It was heartbreaking. Did, did the regulator come in and assess that at all? 
No. Did anybody ask questions about that? I, I wanted to ask questions, but when you ask questions, we're just following public health's recommendations. So public health put in place regulations about lockdowns and sanitation, but they didn't put in regulations about um, levels of care and monitoring the mental health of the patients? Nothing. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Paula. Thank you. Okay. Uh, Chief Greg Burke, do you affirm that this eagle feather symbolizes your direct connection to the Creator for your people and you hold it in the spirit of honor and truth to your ancestors? who have passed, and to your ancestral spirits who are here today to guide you and protect you, that the evidence you shall give in this matter shall be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Je fais, I do. Well, Anna. Thank you, Chief Burke. For those for, for those of us that don't know you, can you please state, us, uh, state your name and let us know where you're from? Uh, John Gregory Burke, uh, originally from uh, uh, Cape Breton, Glace Bay. Don't hold that against me, though. Uh, I, uh, I run a financial practice uh, in Halifax. I live outside of Halifax now, and my office is in Bedford. My name is John Gregory Burke. Thank you. Can you tell us a little bit about your background, uh, Chief Burke? <laughs> well, you don't want to know it all, but uh, um, I, uh, I just want to share with you that uh, I do have four years of nursing at Toronto East General, and uh, I'm just not another head in the crowd. Um, <clears throat> so going through this uh, was very difficult for me, knowing that the knowledge that I had through my training, that I worked in uh, the OR, cardiac arrest unit, as well as uh, uh, we did training in pathology as well as uh, the OR. So um, I'm well-versed not only in our constitution or my treaty rights, but I'm also well-versed uh, in the medical field in sterilization. Uh, Chief Burke, um, I understand you've had some significant health issues uh, fairly recently prior to or pretty much at the onset of, of COVID that are not COVID related. Can you tell us more about those, please? Yeah, I diagnosed myself with uh, cancer back in 2019. Um, and our medical system being what it is, uh, they didn't go, uh, what I told my doctor, I guess maybe I shouldn't have directed the doctor, but I told him I wanted to go to a private clinic and uh, and uh, get a uh, ultrasound done and get my blood work done and, and it all came back uh, uh, negative so um, I went on my way thinking it was you know I was getting old I guess and figured it was just a old age thing but uh, in uh, in uh, 2021 January 2021 I went to him I said look well, I definitely have cancer I, I said uh, I have to get a colonoscopy done so I had a colonoscopy done and uh, and uh, I ended up with surgery in April of 2021, 
and uh, were followed by a treatments of uh, chemo, which ended in uh, December 24th of uh, 2021. Following that, um, when they did the CT scan, uh, they found three blood clots in my lungs due to the chemo treatment, so they had me on uh, a high dose of blood thinners uh, from uh, January through to June. Were you on any medication for your cancer? Yeah, I had the eight treatments of chemo, as well as uh, they gave me Dilaudin, which I didn't use. I, I didn't need Dilaudin. And through my surgery, I didn't need Dilaudin. Um, although they told me to take it, they said opioids gets a bad rap, but for some reason I, I didn't have pain. And uh, But uh, I took the Dilaudin home with me, and... Uh, and, of course, they give you all kinds of mouthwash to kill the lumps and bumps that get in your mouth and, and the lumps and bumps that get all over your body. So, you know, yeah, I, I, I was on medication, as well as the blood thinners. You said that um, lumps and bumps all over your body. Can you tell us more about that? That's related to the medication? Yeah, it was hard to describe. Uh, it, uh, it got to the point where it got so bad that uh, I couldn't touch myself, actually, uh, because there were like little hives, like millions of little hives all over your body. Um, and uh, and uh, the chemo treatment causes um, uh, tissue damage. So even today, like, as I sit here today, my feet are on fire uh, from the tissue damage as well as uh, tissue damage on the hands, your hands never, you know, someday maybe they'll get back to normal, but uh, as I was explain, explaining to you, Chris, um, uh, even today I, I uh, struggle trying to take the top off a of plastic uh, Tupperware. Did the medications affect your cognitive abilities at all? Well, combined with the operation and the, uh, and the chemo treatment, um, you end up with uh, chemo fog brain, they call it. What does that mean? Can you explain that uh, a little bit further? What, what, what do you mean by that? What, happen what happens? Well, well, a cop asked me that. He said, what do you mean by chemo fog brain? The best way I can describe it is it's not like you're drunk, but it's almost like you're in a daze, like you're, st you're stupid, you know? So it's... Uh, it's it's you're not your reaction time and your thinking time isn't sharp you know uh, you do everything slow you move slow you talk slow you react slow so it takes you a little bit longer to process information uh, when you're having a conversation sometimes depending on at that time yeah you have to uh, you have to uh, uh, compress it and then react because of the chemo treatments that you went through and the diagnosis of the blood clots in your lungs, were you given a medical exem exemption, uh, for example, for wearing a mask? Uh, well, uh, when I started the chemo treatment in June of uh, 2021, they gave me a yellow card. I'll just show that to everybody if they're not familiar with it. Uh, this is a, a, a go-to the eMERGE card. Uh, it... Uh, there's all kinds of warnings on it. If you're having a heart attack or high blood pressure or fever, whatever, um, I override everything, everything in the uh, eMERGE other than a car accident. And, uh, and, uh, and because of this, um, I, uh, 
you're very susceptible to bacteria or whatever and and uh, everything I know about uh, wearing the chin diaper uh, working in the OR um, what people were wearing um, was really a joke to me so um, and when I see people wearing it I felt sorry for them knowing how dangerous it was uh, for their health um, Craig, I'm just going to real quickly for the commissioners. Their exhibit, uh, Chief Burke is referring to, there are a number of them, and the labels are will be TR-010, as well as TR-010A through E. Those will be the exhibits that we'll be referring to. Chief Burke, in, I'm going to fast forward a little bit. I want to take you to an incident on February 9th, 2022, at approximately 3 p.m. Can you, can you tell me about that, please? Sure. Uh, well, because I wasn't wearing a mask, I, I didn't wear a mask at any time um, in hospitals. Uh, I was there every 14 days to get my blood checked to make sure hematology was, was or my hematoma was good and, and uh, white cells were fine. And uh, actually, I'll share something with you. Is when I first arrived there to get my blood checked uh, to take my first treatment of uh, chemo, um, there was a lady there said, well, while I was going to the washroom, I didn't hear her say, but uh, my wife heard her say that uh, you make him wear a mask. And uh, the oncologist came up to my wife with the mask, not sterilized. You know, if you're going to touch these things, you have to be sterilized. You've got to scrub up. Anyway, the oncologist said to my wife, uh, could you get your husband to wear a mask? And Susan said, good luck with that. So, uh, so when they asked me, I said, no, I'm not going to wear it. I said, uh, it's on your finger. You're not sterile, so I'm not going to touch it. So, um, and I went into several stores, and, of course, when I explained to them uh, my condition, they were okay with it. And we went into Canadian Tire, and I really just would like for you to uh, talk to us what happened up until the interaction with the owner, because I would like to show a video for that particularly. Yeah. I, um, I went into Canadian Tire, as Chris said, on February the 9th. It was around quarter to three, and, uh, and I was going to return an item, and I walked up to the return desk. There was a huge plexiglass on the return desk, a girl behind it wearing a, a face mask. And uh, I put my item down, and she said, you've got to wear a mask. And I said, I, I don't wear a mask. She said, do you have an exemption? I said, yeah, I do have an exemption. She said, well, I can't wait on you. I said, why not? And she said, well, you're a danger to my health. I said, well, I said, you're behind plexiglass wearing a mask. How am I a danger to, my, to your health? And she said, well, you're a danger. I'm not going to wait on you. And she walked away from me. And I said, well, can I speak to the manager? And, uh, and bear in mind here, I've got chemo brain. So, you know, it's, it's almost like you're in sort of a dream here. And uh, so she picked up the phone, and, and I stood there probably for about 15 or five minutes, six minutes, waiting for the manager to show up. Everybody was calling. The, the girls at the cash register were trying to get a hold of a Mr. Keating. And, uh, and while I was leaning against the uh, railing, this individual, did you want me to go further with this? No, I want you right up to the point okay. uh, that, that you're going through now. So uh, this individual showed up, and he, 
kind of towered over me, and just he started. One second, Greg. I'm going to just stop you right there. Um, unfortunately, I don't have HDMI capability on my side, so I need to walk over to Chief Burks to uh, show you the video on on the laptop. Did you want to? Did you want me to keep explaining, or? Okay. I'm going to play the video. Okay. And when I play the video for you, uh, you can watch it then. You can get out of the light party of the audience uh, as well. Okay. What we'll do is you, you narrate it. If you okay. okay. All right. So Chris asked me to narrate this for you while it's on the screen. So uh, you can see me. I'm up at the desk. I'm putting the arrow to Chief Burke, as you can see there. So he's a jump in the blue. I noticed that gentleman in the blue kept looking at me because I didn't have a mask. just a little bit until yep. the uh, interaction occurs. There's no you waiting for a few minutes. Here. Okay, so she's waiting on me there, or telling me that she can't wait on me. I asked to speak to the manager. So she disappeared there, and she went on the phone to call the manager. And I step back, and you see me leaning there um, while I'm waiting. And I waited. And I waited. And I waited. And and there, this guy shows up. Okay. Okay. This guy shows up, and he's and he never asked me who I was, what I was doing there, nothing. He just immediately started saying, "If you're not going to wear a mask," and he's screaming, "Leave the store!" And you see his hand gesture, and I said, and you can see me asking him to calm down because he's white faced dried mouth and very confrontational and I'm saying I, I just want to explain something to you here and he said no no I'm I'm not going to listen to you if you're not going to wear a mask get out and you see him shaking his head back and forth uh, saying no and um, that's when he gave me three options first option was I can do my business out on the street second was I can do it online this is returning an item now and the third, I can wear a mask, and I immediately said to him, no, that's not an option, but let me think of my other option. And I put my head down to figure out, how am I going to do this outside? they got to bring the machine out. This is how my brain was working that day. And, uh, and then when I left, I didn't notice he went to the other side, and when I raised my head to ask him how I was going to do it outside, he immediately said, Okay, you see him grabbing me there. He immediately said, if you're not going to wear a mask, I'm going to throw you out. And I said, what do you mean? Like you're physically going to throw me out? I couldn't believe he said that. He said, that's right. And I said, I laughed at him and I started to go to, my, to, to leave. And, and I said, that wouldn't be a good idea. And I wasn't referring to that I would knock him out, which maybe I should have, but... <laughs> Um, what I was referring to was my health. I'm on high blood pressure or high, uh, high dose of blood thinners. I'm suffering from chemo brain fog, uh, and I'm not myself. So that's what I was referring to. So uh, 
I think that triggered him, and that's why he grabbed me. And uh, I pushed him off me, and I was warning him not to touch me. But he came at me again, and uh, I pushed him off again. And, uh, and he backs me up to the corner, or to the return desk. And I thought that I grabbed him to, to hold him off. But obviously the video didn't do that. But I did warn him. I said, look, I said, don't you dare touch me. I said, and this is the way I said it, because I'm, I'm not an excitable type of individual, because there he grabs me again. And I had to push him away again. And that's where I told him, don't touch me, I can hurt you. And believe me, I can hurt you. So at that point, he's hollering, giving directions to call the cops. And I said to him, now I'm right about now, I'm, I'm very nervous. I'm not afraid of him, but I'm nervous of him doing something that I'm not expecting and he'd get the advantage over me. Because I, if you know anybody on blood thinners, if you get cut, you're, you're going to bleed pretty bad. So that was my uh, worry there. And, uh, and uh, I told him, I said, well, I'm going to call the cops. You go ahead, I'm going to have you charged with assault. So while I was leaving, Chris is not showing that, but as I was leaving, uh, he kept following me, and I said, don't follow me, don't, because I was worried that he was going to jump me from behind, and, uh, and uh, anyway, I went out into my car, and um, I waited in my car, I called the 911 when I was in my car, and, um, and he came out, and I thought, okay, oh, he's come to his senses, he's, he's going to come and apologize, and uh, Sorry, I thought I, I thought I pressed play to finish the video, and I walked away. My apologies for that. Um, so we'll go over there. Okay. So he's giving he's giving orders to the girl to to call the cops, and uh, right about now I'm I'm, you know I don't know this guy's unpredictable. I mean he's crazy. His eyes were like that coming at me. Chief Burke, um, I know that the video is still playing, and we can probably switch off of that. Uh, thank you. Again, because he, you, you do exit the store at that point in time. Um, the lady that walked off, she at this time is actually calling 911, and the audio recording for that is available to the commissioners. It is one of the exhibits. As well as when you were outside, uh, Chief Burke, after the confrontation, uh, and then you, you went outside, I know the store owner followed you, but what happened outside of the store? Well, did I you, did you call anybody? Yeah, I called uh, 911 and told them that I've been assaulted and I want uh, charges laid against the. Uh, I thought he was the manager. I didn't know he was the owner. Um, for the commissioners, that 911 recording is also part of the exhibits that you can listen to. After that, what had taken take place uh, fast forward uh, to when the police officer arrives? Yeah, what when he, then? I was talking to two RCMP officers that were in the parking lot at the time. They were on a, their coffee break and we were chatting and, uh, and the, uh, I waited about 15, 20 minutes and, and this Bedford cop showed up and he asked me what was going on and I said, uh, go watch the video and come back and talk to me, which he did. He went in and he come back out. A it was a beautiful day, and he was wearing one of those N95 masks, and I thought, oh, boy, this, this is, this is going to be good for me. <laughs> you know, it's, they called the right guy. So anyway, he, he went in, he came out, and he said, uh, yeah, I watched the video. 
He said, yeah, he grabbed you, but you defended yourself. I'm not going to charge him. I'm not going to charge you. And I said, you're not going to charge me. I'm, I'm, I defended myself. And he said, well, he's allowed to do that. Yeah. So just uh, the Bedford Canadian Tire Store, bring a bodyguard with you because they're allowed to grab you. Um, Chief Burke, yeah. excuse me, please keep it down. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Chief Burke, the interaction with the police officer, uh, can you tell me specifically about that? What, what was the conversation you had with him and what was the result of that? Well, it wasn't much. Um, after he said that uh, he wasn't going to charge me, he said, I'm going to give you a ticket. And I said, a ticket for what? He said, for not wearing a mask. And I said, a ticket for not? And I'm thinking, what well, ticket? And he walked away. He didn't, didn't ask me what transpired inside, nothing. And he went to his car and I waited and waited in my car and then I went over to his car probably about 15, 20 minutes and I said, you know, what's going on? He said, well, he said, I'm having difficulty. Uh, they change the rules all the time, so I got to find out if I'm charging you with the right thing or not. So he said, I apologize for taking so long, but uh, here's a ticket for not wearing a mask. And I said, not wearing a What the heck? And I looked, it was $2,422, something like that. So the interaction with the police officer resulted in you receiving a fine for not wearing a mask. Did the officer at any point ask you if you had a mask exemption? No. So there were no inquiries whatsoever about what transpired inside. He went inside the, inside the store and he felt satisfied with what he observed to issue you a fine but not proceed with anything else. Yeah. No, this, uh, what I found out later uh, when I wanted I tried to force him to put an assault charge on this guy, and when I spoke to his sergeant, his sergeant said, well, I read his notes, and, you know, I, I don't see that uh, we should file assault charges. It's not going to go anywhere. And I said, you, you read my notes? And he, he said, well, yeah. I said, he didn't take any, any uh, whatever from me. He didn't take any statement. He said, well, we got it on. I said, well, he didn't even talk to me about it. So he said, well, I'll send over an officer now. Ten minutes? Okay. Or 15, because he held up five minutes, too. Uh, so um, anyway, um, where was Burke, I? Chief Burke, I would like to, uh, unfortunately, I, would, I kind of need to stop this one here because we have another very important incident okay. that we, we definitely have to get to. Yeah. Um, I just will, I'll just will say this that the cop lied to Canadian Tire and told him I was banned for six months and he never ever put a ban on me for six months. So this, this guy was a loose cannon. Okay. So, thank you. The, I'm on, now on a fast, excuse me, fast forward you uh, 30 days to an incident on March 9th that you were also uh, involved in. Can you briefly describe that for me? Well, that was actually 30 days after the Canadian Tire assault. So Canadian Tire was February 9th, and this is March 9th. And there was a homeless guy that I knew from years ago uh, living in his car, so I thought I'd go by and, and uh, buy him supper. It was, it was a late evening. and So we went to A&W, and I walked in, and the girl said, you got to wear a mask. I said, I don't wear a mask. And she said, well, you, you uh, do your order by the plexiglass. So I ordered for both of us. And uh, all of a sudden, this guy comes out of the 
he, he, you can tell he was a migrant. He came out, out of the door like a can and shot, shot him through the door and started screaming for me to wear a mask. And I said, well, I got my order. It's right there. And he, he kept saying, you got to wear a mask. And, I, and he was screaming. He was really upset. And I said, well, do I wear a mask if I sit down? No. I said, well, I'll sit down and you, and you can bring it. No, he wouldn't do it. And, uh, and I said, uh, how long have you been in the country? He said, three months. I said, did they teach you anything about the Canadian Bill of Rights? Yeah, I don't care about your Canadian Bill of Rights. I said, if you don't care about my Canadian Bill of Rights, you go back to the country where you don't have rights. And uh, anyway, he said, well, I'm calling the RCMP. I said, go ahead. I said, give me my money back. And he wouldn't give me my money back. So I said, when the RCMP come, I'm charging with theft because I, I want my money. I'm leaving. Now, and Chief this Burke, is the way I was talking. Uh, I'm sorry. Can you, uh, I hate to interject, but in, in the interest of time, can you take us to the moment uh, outside when the police arrived uh, yeah. regarding this incident? Yeah, I'm not a long-winded person, but uh, I'll try to be short. Uh, <laughs> so I, um, as I was leaving, the RC, two RCMP officers were walking in. And say, they said, what's going on? I said, well, I, I came here to order food. They took my order. Then he wouldn't give me the money back, and I'm just about to leave. He said, well, let's go outside and we'll talk about it. I said, yeah, okay. So we go outside, and he said, uh, do you have your ID? I said, yeah. Show me your ID. I said, did I break the law? He said, no. I said, well, you don't need my ID. I'm leaving. He said, no, you're not. I said, I'm detained? No. I said, well, I'm leaving. Give me your ID. No. So that went back and forth. As this was going back and forth, and I was trying to explain to the RCMP the rights and the laws, this little RCMP officer is coming across the parking lot, and he immediately grabbed me, tried to throw me up against the wall. And he said he was, he, he was going to charge me with resistance. And I said, I said You're, I'm not resisting. I said, you can't handle my arms. I said, just relax. I said, I'll give you my arms. If you want to handcuff me, you want to go down this rabbit hole, let's go down this rabbit hole. So uh, I helped him handcuff me behind, from behind. And then he started pushing me towards his car. And I warned him not to push me. And he didn't push me after that. And we get in the car. Now, you have to appreciate... My skin's still hurting from the chemo treatment, and and uh, he he was helpful. He helped me get my legs in the back seat of the car because if anybody's been in the back seat of an RCMP car, they're like getting in the coffin. So anyway, Chief Burke, um, I want to just really touch upon when you had that interaction with one police officer. You were having a conversation about the masking situation when an officer approached, came across from the parking lot and basically put his hands on you to, to effect an arrest. Did they tell you that you were under arrest at any time before they laid their hands on you, before they touched you? Uh, sorry, repeat that again? Oh, when the second officer came yep. and who then physically tried to take control of you, did he advise you that you were under arrest at that time? No, no. Okay. Did, uh, when, how much force would you say I know it's difficult to gauge, but when he tried to uh, gain control of you, um, was, was there a struggle? Is that why he was saying, yeah, you know, yeah. stop resisting? Were, were you struggling? Were you resisting the officer? Yeah, he tried to slam me up against the brick wall. That's what he tried to do, and I tried to prevent it because I didn't want my face to go into the brick wall because I'm still on uh, blood thinners. Right. Okay. Right? Um, so then you, you were cooperative, and you allowed him to put the handcuffs on? Were yeah, you? and I wasn't combative or saucy or anything. I was, I was just standing up for my rights. 
Were you handcuffed in the front or the back? Back. And then he he pushed you towards the police car, but yeah, you... He, yeah, he pushed me several times. Okay. Yeah. What did you say to him when he was pushing you? I told him not to push me again. Okay. Uh, and then you walked the police car and he put you in the back of the police car and he assisted you putting your legs in because, yes, the back of police cars are uh, very, very, very small. Uh, um, Confined, yeah. Thank you, yes. Yeah. What happened then? Uh, I presume the well, he read me my rights and uh, asked me if I understood them. And I said, uh, I understand the rights, but I don't understand why he read them. And I said, what are you charging me with? He said, creating a disturbance. And I said, yeah. I started laughing. I said, the only fools that created disturbance is the little guy that got shot out of a cannon there and you. I said, I didn't create a disturbance. And uh, so I, we had a conversation about the handcuffs. I said, look, I said, you've got to take these off. He said, well, I'll, I'll, I said, I'm not a threat to you. I said, I never was a threat to you. I said, I don't know why you're overreacting the way you, you are. But I said, let's go down this rabbit hole. So while we're having this conversation, the Mountie that initially spoke to me, five minutes. Okay, I'm going to talk faster then. Um, so <clears throat> the other Mountie came and they had a powwow in the front of the RCMP car. And then the guy, the, the guy that put the handcuffs on me, he said, uh, he said, I, uh, I'm going to give you uh, a band for six months. And of course, I was teasing him. I said, oh, my God, I'm going to starve to death. I'm not going to get, a, you know, I was, I was basically being a smartass, but uh, I thought he deserved it. And uh, when I got out of the car, I tried to ask him a legal question about showing your ID. And finally, after four or five attempts, he he finally answered my question and I asked him, I said, if I'm walking down the street at three o'clock in the morning, do you have the right to pull me over? Although I'm not committing a crime, do you have the right to ask for my ID? He said, if, I, if I'm suspicious, I can. Now that's totally wrong. So Thank anyway, you, uh, they're, the two of them are under investigation I, and I've asked the- Chief, the, uh, Chief Burke. Uh, oh, the, sorry. That's okay. Before You're the boss. Over, I'm just, yeah. <laughs> no, no worries. Um, uh, because I, I will actually get get to that. Um, okay. Uh, that's okay. Because once once your interaction ended, you you were given uh, a piece of paper which you understood to be a basic protection of property act notice. So you banning you from entering the ANW at that location. No one your rings for six months. I'm sorry. No one earrings for six months. No one earrings for six months. But you were banned from the property for six months. That's what correct, yeah, yeah. And did the officer open a piece of paper that he served you with, and did he explain that to you? No, he, he folded it over and gave it to me. Okay, so it was folded yeah. over, and he gave it to you, uh, and he told you that you were banned verbally for, for six months. Was there, was there uh, anything within that piece of paper? Um, yeah, I, yeah, I discovered after, that? yeah, I discovered after I opened the paper, there was a ticket for not wearing a mask, $2,422. <laughs> Did the officer inform you at any time that you were being issued a citation for not wearing a mask? Never. Neither, neither one of them. And in fact, the, the ticket was written by the other Mountie, not by the Mountie that handcuffed me. As I understand it, um, and what what you've already said about And oh, by the way, none of those RCMP officers were wearing a mask. So the interaction you had with the officer outside of the store, um, they were not wearing a mask? 
None of them were wearing a mask did, in the store or outside. Did, when you say in the store, did an officer have an occasion to go inside the store? Did, uh, did, did, was an, did an officer go inside the store uh, to find out what happened? Uh, I don't know. The only time I seen those, the, the girl and, and the initial constable was when I was leaving. I don't know if they went back in. But that was so the initial contact inside the store. So both of those officers came inside the NW not wearing masks when you were there. Correct. And but you issued a citation for not wearing a mask in a store, but although they were not either when they entered the store. Neither one of them wore a mask. Thank you for that. Um, Chief Burke, I'm gonna keep it short, but I you you've already State as part of your testimony that you've made a complaint against these RCMP officers. You made a public complaint? I, I, to Ottawa, yes. Uh, can you give me a brief overview of that? Sorry? Is, is, uh, is there, can you give me a brief overview of that? Yeah, is, I, is uh, I called the sergeant to my house. We had a great, nice guy. He was a real nice guy. We had a good conversation. And uh, he was shocked that I was given a ticket without uh, my knowledge. He said, we don't do business that way. And he wanted me to lodge a complaint with Ottawa, which I did. It, it's still under investigation. And the, the constable that is taking care of it on the local area has found the, the initial RCMP officers in six violations. And the one that handcuffed me is under 12 violations. And I've asked, they've asked me what I want it done. And, uh, and I said that I want the two of them fired. Um, thank you. Thank you for that, uh, Chief, Chief Burke. And um, in the interest of time, um, the documents are included. And I will just defer to the commissioners for any follow-up questions. Yeah, just, just one other thing that uh, we didn't touch on, Chris, is uh, um, he told me that while I was in the car, and he told me he was going to ban me, he did say that uh, he wasn't going to charge me. And, and I said, yes, you are. So we had a little argument back and forth that uh, so I wanted him to charge me. So to put that in context, that would be uh, interact your interaction with the RCMP, so at the NW, yeah. uh, when you were placed in the back of the police car. Correct. And what was he not going, what were you arguing for to be charged with? Well, he was going to charge me with disturbance, and then he said he wasn't going to charge me. And I said, no, I want you to charge me because we're down this rabbit hole. So I want you to charge me. And he said, no, I'm not going to charge you. And I said, why not? He said, I'm not going to charge you. Well, that's, that's where that was. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I know. We're, we're running out of time, but I, but I, I judge you as a pretty amiable man, that you, you're, you're uh, social and you're communicative, and I have a feeling that you're well-known in public to your community. Yeah, yeah, pretty, yeah, my wife doesn't want to go out with me because... Join the club. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> so what I, um, the question I had for you is, have you... It, it seems like have you had people react to you this way before like before this whole pandemic did people generally react in this way to you I mean never never I I'm not a confrontational person uh, although I've never ever backed away from a fight I've been an enforcer on the ice all my life you know and being brought up in Glace Bay you know if somebody looks at you 
<laughs> then, you know. Okay. Okay. Coal mining town. You get. You know. You're fighting all the time. Then. Then. You, you know, the, the Canadian Tire happened, and that was an incident, and the A&W happened, so it's not an isolated incident. Why, what do you think motivated these people to, to treat you this way, apart from the fact that you weren't wearing a mask? Why would they, why would they react to you this way? I would say, um, to sum it up, I would say the, the lack of knowledge, number one, uh, the lack of education, and the influence that the medical health department and the politicians had on people by manipulating um, When you say the, the influence that the politicians and the media had on people, exactly what do you mean by that? What, what kind of influence? Well, you, you had politicians that uh, were passing laws that, uh, you know, we got a young girl in here that uh, she protested against Dr. Strange, uh, or Strain, and, uh, and um, she ended up in jail for six, six uh, days. And the person that wrote that law, uh, Brad Johns, who's the Minister of Justice, happens to be one of the most crooked people. I, I don't care about being sued. Okay. Uh, yeah. well, well, let's, I, I, I think I've got my answer, but... Thank, okay. thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Yep. You're welcome. Thank you, Chief Burke. Yep. Well, Alan, I want to thank everybody for coming here. I was impressed. You have a question? Oh, ju just one second, Chief Burke. We do have one more question, I believe. Sorry about that. I just wanted to ask if this is uh, the two fines have gone to court, and what was the outcome, or was it stopped when you did the investigation against the RCMP? Uh, sorry, I didn't hear you. I just I have to eat the mic now. <laughs> I just I'm I just wondered if there was any follow up in court with the two fines, or if the accusations or the charge that you laid against the RCMP office officers if that has stopped the court action. I'm just wondering where it went from here, if there has been any follow-up. My Canadian Tire ticket uh, will be addressed on June the 1st at 6 o'clock. Uh, the RCMP ticket, uh, I'm going to have to check on that. Chris and I had a conversation about that. He asked me if I went to court over that, and I said, well, it was one of the stipulations I asked the sergeant to uh, drop it, given the fact that, uh, that it wasn't presented to me. Thank you. Thank you very much, Chief Burke. Well, Anna. Thank you, everyone. We now have a 10-minute break.
Thank you, everyone. Uh, we're going to resume the proceedings. Uh, next witness is Sabrina McGraw. And Ms. McGraw, do you affirm that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I do. Thank you. Good afternoon, Ms. McGraw. Hello. Ms. McGraw, I understand you're here today to testify with respect to the loss of your employment due to provincial COVID mandates. Yes. Okay. Where were you working? At Nova Scotia Liquor Corporation. All right, and that's a provincial government yes. job? And what were you doing there? I was manager for the last three years, and three years previous to that, or two years previous to that, I was assistant manager. Okay, and were you represented by a union? Yes. Did your collective agreement provide for any sort of vaccination status as part of the terms of your employment? No. And uh, what position, sorry, you indicated you were a manager. Um, were you a valued employee for the Liquor Commission? I was. Um, just the, the year previous to being placed on unpaid leave, my store had one top performing store, so it's, it recognizes um, overall sale results and leadership. Mm -hmm. And that reflects on you as manager of the store? Yes. Mm -hmm. yeah. All right, and, and any, anything else with respect to your value to the, the store you're working for? Yeah, I um, received model performance on my latest PA, performance appraisal, which is a very rare, uh, it's very rare to get that because they just don't give them out to just anybody. So mm -hmm. I so did a pretty good job to get, the, to, to get it. Nice. And so what year did you have that, the model performance? Uh, 2021. Okay. Uh, what mandates and protocols did the uh, Nova Scotia Liquor Commission adopt? We did masking, plexi, six, foot, six feet distance, and then the latest was the vaccine mandate. And when was the vaccine mandate brought in? Uh, we knew about it in October, but it was implemented uh, July, or January 15th. So in October, they delivered the meshes to the employees, but it was going to be effective January 15, 2022? Right, okay. for current employees. All right. Anyone that was new to the corporation had to be done by November the 1st. Okay. Had to be done, meaning? Fully vaccinated. All right, and, and were, were they required to show proof of that? Yes, there was a declaration form that had to be filled out. And with respect to the uh, deadline of January 15, 2022, for the existing employees, was proof required? Yes. And what was going to happen if proof was not required? You oh, I'm sorry, I, I phrased that wrong. Okay. What, what, what was going to happen if proof was not provided? People would be placed on an unpaid leave of absence. Okay. Was the adoption of this vaccination mandate contrary to some of the earlier views held by the employer? Yes. And in what way? Well, in May of 2021, there was an occupational health and safety meeting. And at that meeting, vaccinations were brought up. And the response was, vaccination is not required by law. It is an individual choice. Therefore, employees are not required to be vaccinated to be in the workplace. Okay. And were you reading from the minutes from that yes. meeting? Yeah. All right. And uh, those minutes have been delivered for filing as an exhibit, but we don't have an exhibit number yet. How did you feel about the vaccination mandate? 
I was 100% against a vaccination mandate. I think everyone should have the choice as to what they put in their body, and it shouldn't be a choice as to keeping your body bodily integrity or losing your job. And so how, if at all, did the environment in your workplace change after the, the vaccination mandate was announced? Uh, we recently had a, a new regional manager, uh, Kim Jackman, and she came into the store about the 1st of November, and we had a, a cutout of Dana White. He's a UFC person. We were promoting his new liqueur. And when she came in, she's seen it. All, like, a lot of stores had it. It wasn't just our store. But she demanded that we take it down immediately because he was anti-vax. Okay. And was there anything on the poster that was related to vaccinations? Just no. a picture of him. That's was, all. And he was promoting his, his product, liquor. his own yeah. product, a liqueur. Yeah. Okay. Anything else? Um, yeah, that same, um, that same regional manager, it was like 7 o'clock on a Friday. She came flying into the store, and she was being aggressive because she had reports that we had um, anti-vax propaganda up in the store, mm -hmm. which we absolutely did not. But she went through the store with a fine-tooth comb, didn't find anything, but she made us take a poster that we had up at the front of the store down, and it was it was handmade by our by our team, and it was just telling the pouring amounts, the proper pouring amounts, but it said "Cheers to Poor Choices" on it. Okay. So that's what she had us take down, just in case that's what people were complaining about. Okay, and so the "Cheers to Poor Choices" was was with respect to the portion amount that you might be consuming of right, alcohol. Right, because we want to be socially responsible right. and making sure that people are, you know, ingesting the right the right pouring amounts. All right. Yeah. <coughs> Anything else? Um, yeah, I was having a, a conversation with an employee from another store on LinkedIn, and he had wrote a comment, because we had been discussing, you know, the mandates and things like that, and he wrote a comment to me saying, I thought you were leading your store to becoming fully vaccinated, not becoming fully unemployed. Okay, and that was in the context of some conversation you were having with him about the mandates? Right. Yeah. And then he deleted me. <laughs> so. And then what? He deleted me. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Did you acquiesce to the mandate to vaccinate? What's that? Did did you did you go ahead and vaccinate due no. to the mandate? No. No, I did not. Were you? And what happened as a result? I was placed on unpaid leave. And when did that happen? January of 2022. Okay. Did they ever? Did you ever go back to the Nova Scotia Liquor Commission? No, we had the option of going back in May on the constituency that we fill out a vaccination declaration form. All right, and so tell us about that form. So it's just a form to say whether or not we were vaccinated. They still wanted to know. We could go back into the workplace being unvaccinated, but they wanted to know whether or not we were. Okay. So and we still had to attest to, to our status. So at that point, the mandate to vaccinate had been lifted in the store? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Had it been lifted generally in the province? It had been lifted in the province seven weeks before. The NSLC extended theirs for another seven weeks. Okay. During that period you were off, you said from January uh, 2022 through to May, did you have any other source of income? No. And did you apply for uh, EI, employment yes. insurance? Yes, what I happened did. with that? I was denied. On what, on what basis? Uh, Service Canada deemed it as misconduct. And what were they calling misconduct? Not following the vaccination mandate. 
Did you file an ROE with, with uh, Service Canada for your application? Yep. And did the ROE say anything about misconduct? No, it just said unpaid leave. And so were you able to determine how someone at Service Canada found that there was misconduct related to the vaccine policy when that was not on your ROE? They said they called the NSLC, and when the NSLC told them it was mandate-related, they put down misconduct. Okay. Did you apply for a reconsideration of that decision? I did. And what happened? Denied. And you have a union? Yep. Or you did have a union. <laughs> um, did you go to your union at all? I did. I went before the before it was even mandated. Once we found out it was going to be mandated, I went to them right okay. away to that try That was to October 2021 when you learned yep. about it? Okay, yep. so you went to your union and what happened? They would do nothing. They said the employer was allowed to mandate vaccinations. And did they base that on any, any particular um, opinions? Did they? They just said case law. Okay. And so was there an indication that they went for legal advice or anything of that they nature? They said that they, they went to legal counsel and asked legal counsel, and that's what they said. And so the determination was that they felt you would lose, so right. they may as well not fight it for you. Okay. Yeah. Uh, did you have an opportunity to see whatever legal advice was provided to the union? No. Did you ask for it? I did ask for it. And what happened? They denied my request, saying that they don't provide union members with that information. Okay. Did you bring any other grievances? Um, there was a grievance in April, but the union approached me about that grievance. It was the time period between when the government ended their mandates and the NSLC kept theirs for an additional seven weeks. Mm -hmm. That was the only period of time that the NSGEU was willing to grieve, okay. was that time period. And what happened with that grievance? For me, I was it was withdrawn because I was no longer working with the NSLC, so they withdrew okay. mine, but other people got something. Okay, and, and, when, and so that was for the people who were placed on leave without pay, the grievance was with respect to that short period that they right. should have received their Just pay. Just that seven weeks. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, and by that time, you had left your employment altogether. Okay. And so you were on leave without pay for a period of time. Did termination happen at some point? Um, they deemed me as being resigned from my position if I didn't respond to, if I didn't fill out the declaration form by June the 12th. I was considered to have been resigned from my position. Okay. And why were you opposed to filling out the declaration form? Because it's still giving out my medical information. I would have done it before <laughs> if that was the case, right? So there was no point in doing it that late. Yeah. Did you take any other positive action to try to combat the, the mandates and, and your concerns? I did. I emailed uh, the Premier, Tim Houston. No response from him, even now. And I wrote my uh, HR and a few senior VPs. I emailed them all. Mm -hmm. And what happened with those emails? Um, as far as the senior VPs, no response from them. Um, HR responded within a day saying that the appropriate people would see my email. And then I received a response on January 13th, which is two days before mm -hmm. 
okay. the mandate. And what was the general substance of your letter to Mr. Houston? Um, just explaining why, why mandates sh shouldn't be implemented, especially when it comes to, you know, losing your job. Like a lot of people got it just to keep their job, and that's forever in them now, right? So, I mean, people did it to keep their job. At the end of the day, you're still dispensable. You know, like you can get that to keep your job and they can still let you go. So then you would have done it for nothing. And the substance of your letter, your emails to HR? Pretty much the same. Yeah. A lot right. of it was copy and paste. Okay. Yeah. All right. And um, you brought with you today, so there's a minutes we referenced. You brought with you also your 2021 annual performance check. Mm -hmm. You talked about your your good performance appraisal. We have that with us, which will be entered as an exhibit. Um, you brought with you today your um, email to Tim Houston and your termination letter from the Nova Scotia Liquor Commission. Um, you brought with you today your response from Service Canada declining your claim and the reasons why they declined it, uh, as well as your response from the union with respect to your grievance and your communications to HR. Is that correct? Yep. Okay. And those, I believe, are scanned, but we don't have exhibit numbers yet, but they will be filed. All right, those are all my questions. Thank you for testifying, and we'll You're wait welcome. a moment to see if there are any questions from the commissioners. Okay. All right, thank We're you good. very much, Ms. McGraw. Thank you. Uh, you have the choice of <clears throat> swearing on the Bible. I believe there's one on the desk. Sorry. I'll just let my yes be yes. So you just ask me and I'll say yes. Okay. I don't need a Bible to. All right. So will I just follow the usual format I've been following and ask yes. you to yeah. affirm that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yes. Thank you.
Good afternoon. How are you? Can you please uh, state your phone name for us? Sure. Uh, my name is Jason McVicker. Where do you live? I live in uh, just outside of Charlottetown, Prince Edward Island. And what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. Pastor McVicker, uh, you're living in PEI mm -hmm. at this time. Yeah. Where were you prior to moving to PEI? Well, I'm from New Brunswick, and uh, for 11 years I did ministry in uh, New Brunswick, Fredericton. You were a pastor at a ministry in Fredericton, yes? Say that again? I said you were a pastor at a ministry in Fredericton? Yes, yeah, for 11 years. For 11 years. Um, can you tell me more about your time at the church in Fredericton, please? And specifically, I'm interested in... Uh, incidents that happened to you regarding your status? If you sure. Um, with regard to COVID and the pandemic and everything, my experience was pretty unique in that I got to, I ministered to a lot of people who, the, the church existed in a low-income area. And so uh, when the mandates all came rolling out and the lockdowns came, uh, there were a lot of people who were adversely affected by all that stuff. And, uh, and so I was ministering to a lot of people, and uh, people in really hard ways. Like, I was dealing with people who were struggling with suicide. I was struggling with uh, domestic abuse from the lockdowns, people just being locked up together. It was mostly older people who were doing that. And uh, extreme loneliness from the, the older community as well. Um, so I had seen firsthand kind of the negative effects of, of all of the policies that were coming down from the government. And then... Uh, it never really affected me. We, our family was fine. We just rolled with the punches as they came. It wasn't until uh, it was the end of September when the mandates for the vaccine came, came into effect. And uh, Dorothy Shepard, on behalf of the government of New Brunswick, had approached the faith communities and had approached uh, churches. And it had basically, in, in an effort to get the, the vaccine uptake to 90%, they wanted, uh, they wanted churches to promote the vaccines among their congregation, and they, wanted, uh, they encouraged uh, vaccine mandates. And then the government had implemented a policy that said if churches would uh, require uh, proof of vaccination, that they could operate full capacity, no restrictions, no masking, nothing. Uh, but if they, if they weren't going to implement the uh, proof of vaccines, uh, then they would have to go back to their operational plans. And that's when my experience went from ministering to people who were struggling with, uh, with these different mandates and these different policies to just being on the receiving end of some of those negative outcomes. And it all began October 3rd, uh, so short but li very little, I'd say eight days after uh, Dorothy Shepard had approached the churches. I had received a letter from our board basically making my vaccination status the new, the, the new measure of my ministry and my character. And they had included in this letter, well, they, they had indicated that uh, the vast majority of the congregation and the vast majority of the, the board um, felt that vaccination was the only way out of this pandemic and that, that my, my opinions uh, with regard to 
the whole the whole pandemic. But uh, mostly, my my refusal to receive the vaccine was causing huge troubles in the church. And uh, I'll just read you some quotes to give you an indication of how they redefined. Not redefined, they, they just made it the measure of my ministry, my character, the fact that I wouldn't get vaccinated. So they, uh, in terms of ministry, they said, quote, uh, that I was exercising poor judgment and a lack of discernment, that I had created deep wounds in your flock, that I had created barriers to you being able to teach, nurture, and guide, that it was a lapse of wisdom, that it was a portent of future errors that could affect you on the pulpit, that it was an erosion of trust and confidence, that it was uh, creating division in the congregation, and that uh, there was a need to repair and rebuild the congregation. Just um, for the commission, the document uh, Pastor Rick was referring to has been entered into electronic evidence sure. uh, and will be available to you. In, in terms of my character, <laughs> the letter went on to say that I was placing my physical health uh, before that of the congregation and that I was placing my own physical health before that of my own children and the children of the congregation. So before this, Mr. Pastor Vicker, I just want to ask a question. You, because <clears throat> you had been there at that for about 10 years. Yeah, well, it was, it was, this was, it was actually the anniversary of my 11th year that all of this was, this was happening. Um, but it was 10 years. It was really good years. Uh, no, no conflicts, no, like, yeah, there, was just, there were no issues whatsoever. So, so the board uh, that now attacked your character uh, rather significantly. and they, they, they just redefined it. It was, because it was, 10 years it was fine. Like there was, had a great relationship with the congregation, good relationship with the board. Uh, it wasn't until my refusal to be vaccinated that suddenly my character and my ministry took on this whole new light. So in the 11 years prior, you've, you've taken uh, this, this parish, um, this community, and you've, community of faith, and you've, you've built it. And what did, you, what did you build it from, and how did that come about? Well, they had had a, they'd had a tumultuous period where it was basically just a mass exodus of their congregation. And, uh, and I had come about two years after that had happened, and they were down to, I don't, I'm not even sure, it was around 20 people or something like that. And uh, over the years that we were uh, just rebuilding, and we had gotten it up to, well, pri just prior to the pandemic, it was around 45, 50 people. And then the pandemic came, and just had crazy swings after the pandemic. But So you had a significant increase uh, from when you initially took it over until, until the end. Yeah, we were making good progress. And you said during that time, had you at the board ever had any other sanctions or complaints about how you led the ministry, how you uh, interacted with the members? Had no, nothing formal. There was like differences of opinions about little things, but it's all no, nothing formal. No reprimands. No anything like literally no conflict with the congregation. Like so, no, no poor judgment and no lack no. of the sermon. No, the, every, everything that was laid out in this letter was purely related to the vaccine, had nothing to do with my actual ministry. So when, when you say it was purely in the letter, nothing, and uh, actually had nothing to do with your ministry, did the board present you with any evidence from the congregation to support the allegations that they've levied against you? No, well, leading up to it, 
like I, I wasn't I wasn't shy about my opinions outside of the church setting uh, about my like how I felt about all these restrictions and and how I felt about the vaccine and uh, so we disagreed on that and there was constant pressure once the vaccines came into into effect um, there was constant pressure from the board especially for me to get the vaccine and I just I refused for the longest time it was mostly just because uh, I was so healthy all the evidence that I had seen in terms of pure numbers I didn't watch TV so I wasn't really subject to all the, the fear-mongering that was going on I just I went to the government website and just read the numbers and uh, so I, I made my choice based on those numbers and uh, so the pressure was constant it wasn't until the government kind of approached the churches that it went from just them disagreeing with I had no idea that they felt this I knew they disagreed with me and I knew that it was frustrating for them mm -hmm. um, once once uh, once that letter was written I, I had written well they had required three things of me in this letter they said that they wanted me to outline steps that I'll take to create a path to healing the wounds described above and they wanted me to detail how I would perform my uh, pastoral duties and they wanted me to elaborate on what I could do to ensure the congregation's physical health again because I'm unvaccinated and apparently dangerous <laughs> and so I wrote them a letter I just answered their three questions I let them know that as far as as far as the steps that I'll take to create path to healing I didn't know the congregation I knew they had problems with how I was you know with my views I didn't think it would affect my pulpit or my ministry at all I just thought it was a disagreement about a worldly matter uh, but I had no idea the congregation that they were so anyway I wrote them a, I wrote them a formal response I said as far as healing the wounds I don't know who's hurt I don't know who's so offended like all of these things that you're putting before me I don't know who I would approach I don't know who feels that nobody's coming to me with this stuff I had no idea that people were so uh, you know so took so much offense to to the choice that I made the congregation didn't again didn't yeah there's there no indication from... again mm -hmm. everybody like I knew that I was the minority view I just had no idea that it was the measure of my ministry and my character at that point uh, so and, and I just I said that I just have no idea how I would heal wounds that I didn't know existed um, but I also say as far as the second one they said they wanted me to detail how I'd be able to perform the pastoral duties it was simple the government had laid it all out and they had given us an ultimatum they said if you if you require vaccination um, and you require proof of vaccination that uh, you could operate full capacity I said I won't be vaccinated so that'll you know if you're gonna require proof of vaccination I can't even minister so that'll take care of that but if you don't if you take option B we'll just do what we've always done we'll do the operational plan which I wrote <laughs> so they, they gave you the ultimatum yeah um, that essentially you need to get vaccinated if not no they, they didn't say they never once said I have to give it they just they kept asking and asking and asking and the way the letter was written it was obvious that that was the outcome they were going for that uh, that what they were trying to portray was that my ministry was in shambles what they were trying to portray was that my ministry was going to be impossible without without vaccination and so uh, the other thing that they asked was to elaborate on what you can do to ensure your congregation's physical health I just I told them that was absurd like you guys can't you can't ensure your 
physical, like you can't insure, neither can I, nobody can insure people's physical health. I told them I would do the things that I have been doing. Uh, I'll abide by all of the actual uh, practices that we had implemented, the operational plan. I'll, I'll do the physical distancing when it's required. I'll do the masking when it's required. I'll do the, uh, even when it came to my vaccination status, I was always very forthright with people. I, I put the ball in the, their court. I wanted them to know that if they were uncomfortable with my vaccination status, that I that actually had a colleague, a pastor, a friend who would be more than willing to to minister them, to them in person if they wanted. Like everything was in place to, as far as, even though I didn't believe that stuff about me being more dangerous, if they felt that way, I accommodated them. So you took steps. You said for um, for people that were not comfortable with you, but you said a one-on-one. -on -one. So did you also, aside from having a congregation on your typical Sunday, I suppose, or, mm -hmm. uh, church time, you also provided services to people on a one-on-one -on -one basis? Oh yeah, I did a lot of counseling, did a lot of, uh, we would do, so there were, there were corporate ministries that I would engage in, so I would do the Sunday service, preaching, teaching, uh, I'd be on the stage with them, leading in worship and stuff. And then uh, there'd be the Bible study, and uh, and then we had a prayer group as well. But I didn't lead that; I had somebody else leading that. And uh, and the rest was all one-on-one -on -one stuff. A lot of people from the community, especially when COVID hit, there were a lot of people. Once word got out that there was a pastor in town that that would hear you out instead of wait for their turn to tell you why you're wrong about the vaccines, they started coming to me. And and that's when I started dealing with people who had such crazy struggles. And plus, it was the neighborhood I was in, I was already very well known, very well liked in the community, and people and you people were in and out all the time. Um, did you advise the board members that you had made arrangements for someone for not for a vaccinated pastor uh, to take over counseling, uh, a lot of sessions for you if the person you were yeah. cooking to see well, wanted counseling? When they when they had a, when they had written that letter and I wrote my response at the end of the response, I, I told them I was like it's very clear from this letter that. There's nothing good is going to come from me uh, defending myself, and uh, and you've already made it super clear that my judgment in this regard has put me in a place where my ministry is not even like if this is the new measure of my ministry, like you shouldn't want me to be your minister, and so I said uh, at the end of that letter I was like I don't see a path forward. It, I basically said. Like, it seems to me that nothing short of me taking ownership, taking responsibility for all of these so-called hurts and all of these... How about uh, I read it? What's Last that? Quicker, I have it right in front of me. I can read it. What's that? Then you said I have it right yeah, in front sure. of me. That way you don't need to try and refer sure. to memory. Yep. Again, uh, this is entered as an electronic exhibit. And it's, quote, <clears throat> To be frank, your letter strikes me as unrealistic, unreasonable, and unfair. It's clear to me that nothing good will come from me defending myself and by your own account, nothing good will come from me exercising my own judgment when it comes to these vaccines. For this reason, I believe it is time for us to discuss how we can part ways in a way that keeps both parties, in brackets the board and myself, close bracket, above reproach. Yeah. What was the result of your reply to their letter? Well, they had called, a, they had called, a, they called it a closed session meeting, so I went to the meeting, it was just the board and myself, and they took my phone because they didn't want it recorded. And uh, anyway, it was one of the craziest things I've ever experienced in terms of, I consider it to be abusive. It was, it was just they took turns basically 
reiterating everything they had written in the letter, but it was yeah, it was so much more. Than, anyway, it was it was. What happened within the meeting? Can you give us a, a brief summation uh, of of what happened? How, they did, just, you, they took how turns. did you feel about it when you were there? Were you heard? Oh yeah, it was. I I considered it abusive, to the point where abusive. I'm sorry? I I just let them say their piece after a while. I didn't say anything after a while, and when they were done, I reiterated that uh, that I wouldn't be getting my vaccine, and that they need to deal with that. That they seem to be hyper focused on this idea that I can be convinced. And it was it was funny. Like even at that time, it wasn't even that I was refusing the vaccine entirely. I wanted to see how the winter played out because Omicron was already happening in Europe and it was already, like all these numbers were rolling in and I was like, I don't even want to revisit the issue until the springtime. I said, for now, I'm not going to get it and you need to deal with that and you need to decide what you want to do because it sounds like if this letter, if you really believe what you wrote in this letter, I'm not fit for ministry. Uh, if this is the new measure of my ministry and character, I'm not fit. And so you need to deal with that reality. Like I, so after that, they asked me to leave the meeting and I did. And, uh, and I waited that night for kind of confirmation of what they had decided. And I didn't get it until the morning. And uh, they had decided in a, that they would, they didn't want to do anything rash. And so what they would do instead is they would move everything online, except for the Bible study, because, or not the Bible study, the prayer group, because I wasn't part of the prayer group. So they moved it all online. They asked me not to meet with anybody in person, especially unvaccinated people. So basically, I'm sorry, yes. you, you were unvaccinated yourself, and yes. they asked you not to meet with other unvaccinated people? Yeah, they asked me not to meet with anybody in person, basically self-isolate. <laughs> okay. So, Was uh, there a reason given why you shouldn't no, you meet No, because with at this time, everything was starting to, to open up a little bit. Like, the government had, everything was open in the government, everything was open in businesses, everybody. Uh, it was only our church, as far as I know, there was no other business, no other church, no other uh, government entity that was shutting down. It was just our ministries that were going to shut down. So they, they shut it all down, asked me not to meet people in person. So I did everything online. And, uh, and uh, after that, I'm kind of losing my train of thought here. So you left the meeting, you were waiting to hear something back from the board uh, that particular night to see how you're moving forward. Yeah, and, and so, yeah, so they, they wanted to shut it down for four weeks and they, they started kind of piling on these restrictions. And so I had assumed that was a response to my letter because in the letter I had responded to them saying, like, well, just do ministry the way I've been doing ministry. We'll abide by the government's policies and we'll, and we'll just keep rolling forward with our operational plan. And when it's open, we'll be open. And when it's closed, we'll be closed. And we'll, we'll do what we've done for the past six months or four months or however long it was. And then we had the operational plan in effect. And so they started piling on. They started piling on, like, all of these new restrictions of their own accord, just based on their own opinions of, of so-called numbers. And... Uh, and uh, I had moved, I had moved the online stream, especially for uh, for church. I moved it ahead an hour because nobody else in the city was closed. So I wanted to take my church to family, or take my family to church. And so um, I moved the live stream ahead an hour, and I took my family to church. And I got an email that afternoon, I think it was, uh, just asking from the board, asking why I had moved 
the live stream ahead an hour, and I told them I wanted to take my family to church. And then after that, I received um, another letter reiterating those three things. Again, they asked me again, we want you to you know, tell us how you're going to protect the congregation. We want you to tell us how you're going to do ministry. So it's essentially like, here's a whole bunch of new restrictions. Now, how are you going to do ministry? So, Pastor McVicker, yes. um, ultimately, what yes. was the outcome of the conversations, the meetings between you and the board? Well, they, um, at the end of the meetings, I got the distinct impression, I wasn't going to resign because I didn't think I did anything wrong. And I wanted them, if they were going to make this the measure of my ministry, I wanted them to fire me for it. Like, if this is the new measure, you're going to have to deal with it. Like, you're going to have to be the ones who initiate all of this. And so, at this point, I'm just, I've lost 20 pounds. I'm a guy who can't afford to lose 20 pounds. Like, I was the most stressed I've ever been in my entire life. My ministry was in shambles, as far as I knew. Um, they, so I... I decided I'd call a congregational meeting because it, it was clear they were trying to force something, but they weren't going to be the ones who wanted to initiate it. I wasn't going to quit. And so um, I wanted a congregational meeting. I wanted to bring them into it and say, you know, is it appropriate for, for this to be the new measure? If they agree, well, then vote me out. If you disagree, let's move on and let's put this behind us. And the, con uh, the meeting that you're referring to, congressional meeting, yeah. what, what, is, what is that comprised of? It's a, you can call these congress, anytime you have a decision that needs to be made that affects the whole congregation, you bring the congregation together with the board and you, you talk about it, you, you work it out, you hash it out, you create the agenda, you create the documents you need. And so that's what I did. I, I had emailed the board and I told them, I'm calling a congregational meeting uh, I need you guys to provide these documents. I was like, I need you guys to be the ones who call the meeting because uh, you guys have been speaking on behalf of the congregation. You've been acting on their behalf, so you guys are going to be the ones to do this. And they, they denied that. They said, no, we're not willing to call a congregational meeting. So I told them, you need to revisit Constitution. I'm like, I gave you the option to do it because you've been talking on behalf of the congregation. But I'm calling a congregational meeting one way or another. So they, they said no. They said they wanted to have another meeting uh, in person. I said, no, I wasn't going to do that after the last meeting. I was like, I've been advised by people not to ever put myself in that position again. Pastor McVicker, um, yes. sorry to interject, but in the interest sure. of time, yep. um, you ultimately decided to part ways with, yeah. with this church. Yeah, so we, we entered into a, before the, like I said, at that point, I was just done. I was like, I can't do this anymore. It's too stressful. My wife, my family, like, all of it was brutal. It was the most brutal thing I've ever experienced. So I just wanted to be done. So I didn't even get to the congregational meeting. I, I called up uh, my father-in-law, who's dealt with this stuff before, and got him to mediate a mutual uh, parting of ways, a mutual agreement to terminate the contract. And so fast forward to, uh, I forget the exact date, I'm signing this contract and I'm getting a bunch of texts from the congregation congratulating me on my new endeavors. I'm like, what are people talking about? And I got several of these texts as I'm signing this document. And I, I finally, on my way out, I get another text from somebody asking me if this was really a mutual agreement. Like, if the agreement was actually mutual. And I said, no. And they said, uh, do you want to talk? And so I got together with them, and they showed me the, the newsletter where they announced my parting of ways. 
And I, uh, I can read that out, actually. Yeah, could you read that? It's, it's, yeah. yeah, it's right. And that was uh, on October 24th. Sure. Uh, sorry, October 27th. The letter, the, uh, the parting ways uh, that the board chose to, to word was as follows, quote, Jason's contract has ended by mutual agreement as he has accomplished all that he can in this ministry and he will now move on to new endeavors. We thank Jason for his years of service and wish him all the best in his future plans, yeah. end quote. So they just flat out lied to their congregation. And, and I kept on getting these texts and these messages congratulating me, so I'd have to, I didn't know how to correct them because I didn't want to be, anyway. So it was just this big mess, and, and ultimately, uh, over time, and talking with people, had discovered that nobody knew. It was just these, this, the board, the, the individuals on the board were acting on their own, their own accord. The congregation, 100% in the dark, had no idea that any of this was even happening in the background. So I had been misled by this letter that had portrayed my ministries in total shambles. Like the congregation was completely in the dark, and now they had lied to the congregation about the nature of my leaving. So, Pastor Vicar, what I hear you saying is that they've lied to you and they've lied to your congregation. Yeah, like I never would have entered into mutual... If I had known that especially after talking to people face-to-face -face from the congregation, that, that even though they disagreed with me, this never would have been the approach they would have approved of. This never would have been the way they would have wanted it done. I never would have entered into those. Like, I, I, my ministry was destroyed over this stuff. Thank you. And, and I never would have gone down that path. Yes. Thank, thank you, Pastor sure. Zicker. Unfortunately, we are out of time. Yep. Um, I would like to defer to the commissioners for any follow-up questions. Please. Yeah, thank you, very much. thank you very much for your testimony. Sure. Uh, I'm, not, I, I'm not a religious, well, I'm religious, but I'm not practicing like a pastor, but I have a, I have to, I have problem to write. That's, that's how everybody who's not religious talks to me. Well, well, they, I, always, they always put that caveat. I'm a believer, <laughs> I'm a believer, but I'm a scientist, and I have a hard time to wrap my head around what you're telling me, because seems to me, based on the level of understanding from your people on the board, mm -hmm. that I don't think, correct me if I'm wrong, that they have a deep understanding of the science behind what they are promoting. They, well, one of them was a pharmacist, so he, he had some understanding, but most of them are just lay people. Would it be fair to assess that this is more based on faith? Trust. They gave implicit trust to the people who were talking on TV. Okay. Um, I, I'm not a scholar of the Bible, but my understanding is that the reason why humans are alive today is because they benefit from a God-given natural immunity. Have they ever heard of that? They saw it in me. I never got sick. I never got COVID. <laughs> So it seems to me that what you are experiencing, correct me if I'm wrong, is a struggle of faith between two different beliefs. You believe in natural immunity, God-given natural immunity, and I can assure you there's a lot of science behind it. I don't want to speculate on beliefs or anything like that. They, in the end, like, I don't even, they processed They just followed through on what the government put out there. 
And they, they did it in what I consider to be a super unethical way, and that kind of blows my mind that they would do it. And I never, never in a million years would I have thought that would have been the way, but I don't know. I don't know what their beliefs are. Like, that, their motivations, their intentions, that stuff's God's territory. I don't care. All I care about is what they did. So, so what is your option moving forward for your ministry well, or other ministry? I'm, I'm in full-time ministry now. Like, once I... Like, we, we ended up moving to Prince Edward Island to be closer to my wife's family. And uh, the moment I got over there, f- from the moment I got there, I was filling pulpits, preaching, and uh, I was asked to apply to a few different churches. And, like, nobody had a problem with... And I, and I was super frank. I was like, I'm not dealing with this stuff ever again. So I, I told them, I'm like, if I, if I put my name in, like, you, you got to tell your congregation exactly where I stand on all this stuff. And I'll never preach it, and I'll never be, like, I'll never be heavy-handed. I don't care what people believe about this stuff. They make their own choices. I just want to be left alone with mine. And so I wanted them to understand. I was like, you just got to make sure they know that I'm not vaccinated. I probably never will be vaccinated, not with this mRNA stuff. And, so, and nobody cared. Like, it, everybody, like, I, there were several churches who were asking me to apply, even knowing that. Okay, thank you. Sure. No, we have more questions coming. I'm sorry. Okay. I was just wondering, there's a couple of questions I have. Um, the first one, is there anything in your contract with the church in Fredericton that would suggest that this may be a problem if the if your faith goes against what the world is is promoting. I actually I stayed away from faith statements about why I wasn't being vaccinated. So like there's nothing in the contract that would yeah say anything like that. And I stayed away from it because like speaking from a place of, of faith, the Holy Spirit informed the decision I made. But I never appealed to that because it I can't. I can't, it's an appeal to an authority you can't confirm. And so I just never did. I just, I stayed purely with the numbers. I'm healthy. I don't need the shot. They don't stop infection. They don't stop transmission. So I'm not, you're no more protected with me vaccinated than unvaccinated. Those were my two reasons for not, yeah. So I, I stayed away from that. Okay, my second question is, did the government, do you know if the government offered financial incentives to set up church buildings as vaccination centers? No. You're not aware? I'm not aware, no. And nobody ever approached us, or at least not that I was aware of. And I believe that some of the arguments for churches closing fell to Romans 13. I believe that's right. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are when... uh, Christian churches or faith groups would raise the first couple of verses in Romans 13 as an argument for following uh, the leadership of, of our uh, secular governments. I did, like, and, and we did. Like we, we implemented the operational plans. We followed everything. Uh, there was no mandate for the church. Like Nobody mandated anything within the congregation, and the government didn't mandate anything for us. So that's not an argument. Okay, and then my final question is, you suggested that the mandates in New Brunswick were um, decreasing at a time that these restrictions within the church were increasing. I'm just wondering, at any point in this journey that you've just gone through, did you feel like the province 
the health authorities or the province were targeting the church or that there was religious oh, They definitely bigotry. targeted the church because, um, well, for one, I don't know what it was like in other provinces, but I know in New Brunswick, a huge portion of the unvaccinated population were from the faith community. And Dorothy Shepherd approached the faith community specifically, asking that they promote vaccines to their congregations and, uh, and encourage them to require proof of vaccination in order to boost those numbers to 90%. So they most definitely targeted the churches. So are you aware of other churches that went through this same struggle between the congregations and the ministers as a consequence? There was only one other church that I, that I knew of that went down the road that my church went down. The rest just navigated it fine. Actually, the church that my family and I landed in after all of this stuff, they were the exact same scenario as us. Their pastors were unvaccinated. They, they, they just handled it in a way more mature way. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor McGregor. I sure. appreciate your time this afternoon. Thank you. Bless Bear. That's the name. That's the name again. Okay. Bear. Mr. Bear, do you affirm that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yes. Thank you. Tell us your full name, where you're from, and your occupation. I'm Bliss Bahar. I'm 18 years old. I'm from Bayvert, New Brunswick, and I'm a seasonal kitchen worker. And when did you graduate from high school, Bliss? I graduated June 2022. So you were in high school during the height of the pandemic, roughly early 2020 to spring 2022? Yes. Can you tell us a bit about what your life was like uh, before that time, before the pandemic started? Prior to COVID, I was really active in my community, both within school and outside of it. I campaigned for the Green Party. I uh, organized and spoke at protests for the environment. Um, I was part of art groups and I performed at music festivals. Uh, within school, I was part of band, choir, eco groups. So between those social activities and school, that was mostly what my life consisted of. So then in 2020, when we begin to hear about COVID-19, were you concerned? I was never concerned for myself, given that I'm a young, healthy person, but I was uh, possibly concerned for my parents as they're middle-aged. And when the vaccines came out, did you choose to take any of the available vaccines? I did not. How come? 
Um, I've always been raised to be skeptical about vaccines, so to me it's a case-by-case situation. And having seen that the process was rushed, I wanted to wait at least a year to see the rollout of the vaccine. Um, But before I had time to make my own decision, it was mandated. And once it was mandated, I knew I would never accept the shot because I would never accept a forced medication. What sources did you consult in making your decision? There were a few sources. I did consume both mainstream media and also alternative views on YouTube, uh, such as doctors like um, Vinay Prasad. And I spoke about that with my parents and all that information. I also spoke to my nurse practitioner, and I asked her about risks because I'm transgender and I take testosterone, and I'd heard about young men having higher cases of myocarditis. So I was concerned about that, and she dismissed that and told me there was absolutely zero risk and that I should just get it. Uh, So I found that discomforting, and so given all those different forms of information, uh, I made my decision. Why did you find that discomforting? Um, Because I know that there is at least not 0% risk. I know it was at least more than that, so I wanted her to at least um, give me more information, but she wouldn't really uh, speak upon the matter much. So in fall 2021, around the time that Nova Scotia announced that there would be a vaccine passport for several services and and other um, things, what grade were you in? I was uh, in grade 12. And did you observe any impact in school life, uh, in the atmosphere in school, in the school setting at that time after the announcement? Yes, so uh, nothing was really noticeable. People were didn't want to like talk about it, but once the mandates were in place, once unvaccinated students were banned from extracurricular activities, uh, the issue was just brought forth um, right to the front of the stage, and um, it sort of outed unvaccinated students to all the rest of their peers. And did that did that sort of create any tension in the school? And um, it it did for me. I didn't know any other unvaccinated students, um, but I wanted to avoid being outed, so I uh, dropped out of school. Um, and switched to online classes. Were you registered in any activities at that time for the fall? I was registered for theater, art club, um, music, so yeah, a few things. And outside the school? Anything outside the school? Um, Nothing at that point. And so you dropped out of school school to avoid being outed because you were worried about how you would be treated if people knew your status? Yeah, I, I knew that I would meet a lot of negative reactions Um, So I I did want to avoid that. And exactly when did you drop out? I would say it was uh, sometime in October. And can you list sort of what type of activities you had intended to do or that you would normally do around the fall at that time? Yeah, there was a lot of things. Um, Usually I would have uh, been preparing to perform at the music festival for the Royal Conservatory of Music. Um, I was probably going to have another art show that was outside of school. Um, I was going to participate in theater um, and likely organize eco-protests as well, so kind of the regular things I would have always done. And so you were not allowed to participate in any of those things at this point? Yes. And what was that like? How did that feel? It was very isolating, um, and it was, uh, yeah, just incredibly lonely. At this time, what were you seeing in the media or on social media about um, vaccine-related topics or people who choose not to take the vaccines? 
I saw a lot of hate and contempt for unvaccinated people. Um, so every once in a while when I'd scroll through, I would see videos that said unvaccinated people deserve to die, that they are idiots, um, that they're just unlikable people that take up space. Uh, one person said they were glad, glad that we were banned from things because uh, they didn't want us to be around. So things of that nature. And was this sort of in the, the main internet or were you seeing any of this sort of coming from the mouths of people you knew? It was uh, primarily online, yeah. And how did, how did that make you feel? Um, it, for me personally, uh, I was pretty hypersensitive, so I felt um, physically shaken for like, even sometimes for two days, I might have like a migraine or feel uh, very nauseous sometimes, yeah. Just witnessing sort of the types of things people were saying. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Did your decision not to take the vaccine have an impact on any particular relationships in your life, friends or family? I would say that it had an impact on every single relationship in my life, um, except that with my parents. Um, but besides that, uh, everyone looked at me differently and uh, could hardly look me in the eyes, frankly. So um, a lot of interaction was cut back because of it. Do you have any specific examples? So there was one person who I had reached out to after I dropped out of school um, to meet up with, but I told her that I was unvaccinated um, because I knew it would come up anyways. Um, but she told me that her mom banned her from seeing me. After you told her that you were unvaccinated? She- yeah. Mm-hmm. And how did that feel? That was really disheartening because um, I know that most young people didn't want to know me at that point because of my status. So I was excited to hear that she um, didn't judge me on the matter. Uh, so it was really disappointing to learn I lost another friend. So she had originally known and was fine with it, but then later mm-hmm. on had told you that she was no longer allowed to hang out with you? Yeah, that's what she told me. Have these measures impacted other aspects of your life? I would say it impacted every aspect except uh, physical. So um, primarily social aspects were the hardest, such as losing all the groups that I was a part of, but also uh, financially because my father was put on leave without pay. So as a family, we struggled. And as far as my future, that was also impacted as far as uh, university and just any sort of future plans that I had after high school. And why were those impacted? Um, Well, I was generally banned from universities, and any connections I'd made with people, say, like in the art or music world, uh, was cut off. And can you describe a specific day or instance uh, that was particularly challenging in all of this? One of the hardest days for me was when my mom and I were discussing uh, uh, university opportunities, and I was on and off negative about it, but I generally really love education, so I was excited. And we discussed a particular university and were starting to get inspired by it, but then we went online to look up the uh, COVID policies, and we found that I was banned not just from the physical classroom, but also banned from online classes. Um, So that was disappointing. So at this point, in time, with, when every, with everything up in the air, no, no indication of when the, these requirements are going to end. What was your outlook? How were you feeling about the future? Uh, I felt pretty uh, like I was in despair. I was, it felt very bleak. Um, I really felt, it, especially considering there was more like threats and more possible exclusion, um, I felt that there would never be an end to it. Um, and because I felt that way, because I felt like our future not just personally on my note, but as a country, our future was bleak. Um, I did feel fairly suicidal because it seemed that it would never end. 
now that many of the measures have li lifted uh, and there's sort of less focus on COVID, would you say your life has returned to normal or would you say that you experience any ongoing impacts? Hmm. Um, in some ways, it definitely has gone back to normal, which I'm grateful for. I have a job, I'm going to college, and those were things that I wanted. But internally, as far as my mindset, um, I think I'm changed forever. I think I may never, ever trust my government again or trust any institution in Canada um, unless I see justice and restitution. But um, I'm still grateful for the, the physical things that have changed, such as the mandates lifting. And I wanted to ask, is there any particular activity that was particularly painful or difficult for you to be excluded from? Or were there any particular instances of, of not being able to participate? Mm -hmm. The hardest for me was music because for me and for most people, music is about um, playing uh, music with each other and collaborating. Um, and it's a very beautiful experience. So uh, my tutor who I had, who taught me clarinet for about seven years, um, said we can no longer do uh, in-person classes together. Um, that was uh, very rough for me, uh, especially also I couldn't uh, perform at the music festivals or anything like that too. And that was that tutor's personal choice? It wasn't a requirement? For my tutor, it was personal choice, yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Um, I guess I would just say that although uh, in those moments I felt that there was really no hope, having seen the convoy and having seen movements like this, like the National Citizens Inquiry, um, I am given a lot more hope. Thank you, Bliss. I'll turn it over to the Commission. Thank you. Thanks. Joe Behar. Mr. Behar, do you affirm that you will tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Yeah. Thank you. So can you tell us your full name, where you're from, and your occupation? Uh, Joe Behar, I'm from Bayvert, New Brunswick, and I'm a civil servant in the federal government. And how long have you worked for the federal government? 20 years. The same department or moved around? Um, I did one brief stint in another department just during COVID. So primarily in the same department? Yes. And you were in this position in 2020, 2021? Mm-hmm. Yes. And how would you describe your experience working there prior to the pandemic, sort of up to that point? It was positive. You know, I, I enjoyed my job. I had um, become a manager in, uh, in my department and um, built up some good relationships both with colleagues and with clients so it was, uh, it was very uh, positive. And in 2020 as you began to hear about COVID-19 were you concerned? With COVID? Mm -hmm. no, not again not for myself uh, maybe maybe for uh, others uh, like my wife and my 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 mom but uh, not overly concerned, no. 
So when the vaccines became available, did you take one? No. At what point did you realize that your decision not to take the vaccine might cause problems for you? I didn't, uh, right up until the time that I was put on leave without pay, I didn't, I didn't believe that, um, the, the, that I couldn't believe that anything would be done, that I would, that I would be, you know, negatively impacted. I, I did see that there was a lot of negative uh, stuff in the media and, in, and even in personal interactions that I'd had, but, um, I, you know, I, I didn't think that, uh, you know, that I didn't think I'd lose my job. <laughs> and do you recall when the federal government announced the uh, mandates for federal workers? So uh, I think I, re I remember, I remember my wife saying she'd read something in the paper about, you know, this being... Um, talked about sometime in September, I guess, or so of 2021, maybe October. I don't remember when the election was at that time, sort of right after the election. And I remember saying to her, there's no way that's going to happen. Well, we've, I've got a union and we have courts in this country. We've got a charter of rights. There's, they can't do that. So you weren't concerned? Not really. Not at first. Not when I heard that, no. And the time that they officially announced the mandate, were you working in the office? Um, at, no, at that point, nobody was. We were all, um, well, and at that point, I was on a secondment agreement with another department, and the office was in Dartmouth, and I was, and I was in Bay Verde, so it's a two-hour drive away. So there was never a question of being in an office. We were all working remotely at that point. And did you inquire as to whether you'd still be subject to the mandate, even though you were not going into the office? Uh, sorry. So, sorry, did you request uh, accommodation on the basis that you were not going into the office? Like yes, I mean, I, I, I did sort of, uh, I did, yeah, I did say, I did make, try and make a case that this was not a matter of workplace safety, and so there was no rationale for a mandate. Um, and there was some case law as well by that time um, that sort of backed it up, but um, backed up my, my point. But um, I didn't, yeah, I didn't expect that to, to uh, I didn't expect to be accommodated, but I still made the case. And what was the response? Sorry, this is the policy, um, you know, I can't, you know, there's no accommodation. Had you offered to do anything such as uh, masking when you go in or sure. social distancing? Sure. I mean, I did note that we were working remotely, but if I was required to go in the office, I said, you know, I'll, I'll do tests. I'll, I'll do tests at my own expense. Um, I'll wear a mask, et cetera, everything like that. But, you know, what, that wasn't the point of the, of the policy. The point was to try and coerce you into taking the vaccine. So it wasn't about you know, being healthy or being, you know, public health. That wasn't what it was about. So you offered to do testing as well and yeah. still? If I ever had to attend at the office, which, by the way, I never did. So you were ultimately placed on leave without pay? Yes. Um, and can you tell us a bit about the day when you were placed on leave? So on that, so the... The day uh, was um, November 17th, and, and that was to be my last day. And I, um, I remember having, uh, working in the morning, finishing up doing some things, and then sort of leaving or thinking that in the afternoon I would, 
um, take some, you know, correspondence, some personal emails, some phone numbers and contacts off of my, uh, you know, off of my computer and from my files at work. Um, and so I'd kind of, you know, planned to do that. That's why I didn't do it in the morning because I had other things to do from a work perspective. But uh, then when I went to do it, I was completely locked out of the system. My phone was wiped. It was almost like I was canceled, you know, so I couldn't get any of those things done. I couldn't, I didn't have any access to things like my leave balances or uh, even later any of the HR stuff I needed, like a, you know, T4s, stuff like that. So they had locked you out before yeah. you had even left. But they, they did it in such a way it was very kind of preemptive. Like it didn't even wait till the end of the day, which I assumed I had till, you know, the end of the day, which would, be, would have been 4 o'clock. So um, it, 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 very, it felt very punitive felt very punitive that, that that it was done in that fashion. And how were you feeling that day, that night, after, you know, being placed on leave from this job you'd been working at for 20 years? I mean, you know, again, like I said, I didn't believe it would happen until it, would ha until it happened. And people were telling me, too, oh, there's no way they can do that. Don't worry. It's not going to happen, the, the, you know. Um, but I, by then I was sort of, you know, thought that it would happen. So it felt very... It felt real when it did happen. In sort of aftermath, it was quite. It was probably, uh, you know, the most shocking day that it, that you know, to realize that it, I was in fact you know, left without pay, <laughs> um, and just at that time of year too. And are you unionized? How do you mean? Do you have a union, sir? Oh yes, yeah. yes. Sorry, I thought you said something else. No. And had you did you talk to your union about filing a grievance? Yes. Yeah, so at first the union declined to um, so, you know represent people like me. Um, they said they were in agreement with the policy, but a bit after that, there there were a few, as I said, a few cases that came through in the courts that basically sort of said you know if workers were. Uh, working from home, it wasn't, it, you know, it wasn't right that they be um, subject to a mandate, um, that the employer didn't own them, you know, and, and, you know, you didn't sign away your, your rights when you've signed a labor contract. So the union kind of changed its mind and said it would represent us on a case-by-case -case basis, and I filed a grievance at that time against the policy. So that would have been early December. And have you had any results from your grievance? No, and it's been over a year, obviously. Um, everybody is dragging their heels on it, even though the collective agreement has set time lim limits for responding to first, second, and third level grievances. They didn't respond, they still haven't responded to the third level grievance. And I kind of didn't expect anything from those grievances. I wanted to take this to a labor relations board, and but the process is that you had to go through the first stages of grievance. Um, and like I say, the whole process should have lasted, according to the timelines, should have lasted maybe a month and a half or two months. It's, it's been probably 14 months, and I still haven't got a response to the third level grievance. So obviously they're trying to sort of drag it out um, and hope that I go away and get tired of it. So when you went on leave, how long did you think you'd be on leave for? Seven months. 
Or did you, that's what you expected or? Oh, I didn't know how long it would last. I expected that I wouldn't, I expected that that was the end of my job. But I, I kind of, um, as I said, like I didn't, I didn't do anything other than, uh, you know, file the grievance. I didn't quit. Right, right, so you were on leave, you had no, no you didn't, weren't expecting to go back, but you had no idea sort of when you might be able to go back if you wanted to. And you, right. were you receiving any to. pay at this time? No pay or anything like that, no. So did you eventually get any other, uh, have any other income during this time? I did eventually get a job, uh, another job contract, like a five-month contract with a company in Ontario that, you know, so I worked remotely and... Um, that was sometime in February. So that was good. It didn't pay as much, but I, I liked the job and I liked the people that I was working with. What would you say the financial impact has been of being sort of off your federal government job? For I mean, leaving aside the fact that I was working at that other job, which kind of defrayed a little bit of the, of the financial impact, um, it was sort of the equivalent of being fined sixty or $70,000, right? That was the income that I was, that I didn't receive during that time. This alternative job, it was significantly less or? Yeah, it was less. So I mean, that, that, you know, that put a dent in it. But we went through our savings quite a bit. And also, all through the month of November, December of 21, January of 22, uh, uh, um, I, we were without an income. And I, you know, was looking for work, but I didn't, you know, have, you know, it was hard to find work at that time if you were, especially if you were unvaccinated. So, um, so uh, I didn't know, you know, that's when we were Not going through our, our savings. And did your decision or your views on this matter impact any friendships or uh, relationships with family at this time? Unfortunately, yes it did because as I said some friends were very uh, you know they, they were supportive but others were not and I can't really uh, unsee that now you know uh, people people who thought that it was okay for 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 this action to have taken place and for to me um, I can't you know I can't forget that they felt that way and I had some some arguments with family members as well and that's kind of put a strain on our relationship again like people want to go people want to get past it now and say oh yeah that you know that that was then but get over it but I I can't unsee what I what I saw I yeah so and would you say that the passports the vaccine passports had any had a significant impact on your life in any way I mean it I wasn't able to um, easily travel. For example, my mom is is elderly and and not well, and she lives in Ontario, so I couldn't hop on a plane to see her. I had to. I, I did go by car a few times, but that was, um, you know, there was always there was always the the worry that you'd get stopped at the provincial border to check your passport and things like that. So there was that the inability to travel um, on on you know public transportation um, couldn't visit my um, my daughter who lives in the states um, and, you know there was this feeling of social exclusion as well which was kind of harsh you know small community correct yes yeah. and so did you feel the impact within the community I mean yes especially in our local in the small town that's right near us um, you know, there was this one incident where, um, you know, people, you know, 
my wife was on this uh, group, you know, for the the Green Party, and she made a point about unvaccinated people being sort of excluded, and you know how that was how we should, you know, be, you know, the candidate should be standing up for them as well, and you know, got a, got somebody posted. Well, you know, Meg, we all know you're unvaccinated, and I saw you at the market the other day with that with no mask on. It's an outdoor market, um, and it's disgusting. <laughs> Which you know was quite um, it's quite hurtful in a small community to have people call you disgusting. So during that time, you're on unpaid leave indefinitely. Uh, couldn't visit your your mother, ostracized by the community. How was your outlook for the future at that time? Yeah, no, I think. You know, echo what Bliss said. I I, I just felt a very. I, I felt alarmed at what was happening in our country, and I felt like, um, you know, the fact that seeing people going along with this in a public way, but also what was what the government was being able to do with seemingly no checks from the courts, or you know, the charter didn't seem to matter. Uh, I was alarmed and fairly dark view of what was going on, and I could see that other people were too. The mood uh, in 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 society in general that I saw was was depressed, and um, so I, it was a dark time. And I even you know we even talked about like where can we go that's better than than this? Is there are is there any other place? And for the first time ever. Uh, I, I contemplated leaving my country, <laughs> which was, which was pretty um, despairing. Is there anything else you'd like to add, Joe? No, I mean just that I, I think uh, that you know things. I think that it's great what you guys are doing here, giving people a chance to go on record and say what had happened. Because as we, as we move on from this, we we f we have a risk. We run the risk of forgetting what actually how it was you know in the darkest time so it's good to it's good to just put it on record and remember so thank you for the opportunity okay. thank you i'll turn it over to the commissioners thanks very much all right Thank you, everyone, and that uh, ends the proceedings for today, Friday. We'll uh, reconvene tomorrow morning, Saturday morning at 9 a.m. Thank you so much for listening to this broadcast of the National Citizens' Inquiry. It's so important to get the testimonies of Canadians out there, so please share on all your channels and invite your friends and family to listen in. As always, you can head over to nationalcitizensinquiry.ca to sign our petition and find out more on how you can take personal responsibility. From the National Citizens Inquiry, thank you. The world is watching.